We are in our series, Overwhelmed But Overcoming, <clears throat> and we're also in this season of Advent. Um, Advent is something that is kind of in the church calendar that is talked about. It's, it's not something that we see prescribed for us in the Bible that says, hey, four Sundays before we celebrate Christmas, you should do Advent. But what it is, is a season that recognizes the bigger biblical theme of, of waiting, Right? The people of the Old Testament were waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the advent, the coming of Jesus. And so we use these four Sundays to, to experience, to express, hey, there's many ways we wait too. Right? Advent is a reminder that we must wait along with the rest of creation. We, we wait because though the King Jesus has come, the King Jesus is still coming again. He will return one day. And now all of creation groans waiting for his arrival. Our, our best Christmas hymns teach us this, right? We sing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, because we groan in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. It's a song of waiting. Or even things like joy to the world. Indeed, it should be joyful because Jesus is born. And then it says, and he makes his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And certainly God does that and is doing that, but yet it's not final because the curse is not fully reversed yet. The restoration of paradise is not complete yet. That doesn't happen until heaven. And so we wait for that. And the waiting is not just about songs we sing about waiting. It's not just that there's spiritual truths about waiting, though there are. Waiting's a practical reality you and I have to do every single day. Some of you are waiting to hear which college you will get into, hoping that you get into the one that you choose. You're waiting for shootings to stop. You're waiting, hoping for more family time as you try to figure out a better work-life family balance. You wait, not quite knowing how to help your spouse who has some mental health challenges. You wait literally in the waiting room for the doctor to come give you news that may not be the news you want to hear. You wait on your parents, helping them as they face significant health issues in their sunset years. You wait on your adolescent children who make you proud one moment and frustrated the next. You wait on your grown children and watching the choices they make and wondering how those will play out for them. We wait. And we get overwhelmed with waiting and not knowing, and what to do, and then we wonder, how do we pray? Just how do I pray? What do I do? Is there help? And the good news is, yes, there's help. There is help in that waiting. If you would, turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 18 to 30. The words will also be on the screen, so you can follow along there as I read the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have 
the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship through the, redemp- through the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will bless the reading of your word and also use me as a preacher of it now to try to communicate the truth in it, that we would receive it, that we would hear it, and that we would abide by it. We ask in your name. Amen. So this is interesting because a couple of weeks ago in talking about uh, overcoming with prayer, we talked about how the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And he taught them to pray using that form of what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven and, and so on. And that's, that's how Jesus taught them to pray, which is fantastic, which is important. Here what we see is while that is important and should shape our prayers as we're praying, we are all human, including the Apostle Paul, and there's times where we have weakness and we just don't know what to pray. I mean, I don't know if you heard that or not, but, but Paul said, we don't know what we ought to pray for. What? The guy who wrote parts of the Bible sometimes did not know what to pray for? Yeah, because life can become overwhelming. And you and I sometimes don't know what to pray for either. And so today, the good news is that when you and I don't know what to pray for, we're not alone. The Spirit is with us and intercedes on our behalf to help us pray. So we're going to talk about this in three ways. You can put that first point on the screen if you want for me there. And that is this, when you don't know what to pray for, the Spirit intercedes with the passion you lack. Did you notice how that passion, that, that, that urgency comes through in this text? In verse 26, for example, it says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us through wordless groans. Right? Here's the Spirit groaning, these wordless um, sighs, these groans on our behalf. And in verse 22, we get another hint of what these groans are, right? Before that, we read, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. So clearly what verse 22 is telling us is that the brokenness of creation, that sinful rebellion against God that brought about that disease and suffering and sickness and wars and the like causes creation, all creation to groan like a mother waiting to give birth to a child that involves both pain but the glory of the revealing of what is to come, new life. And so creation groans as it waits in pain, but for that glory that is to come. In verse 23, it talks about groaning again. And it says, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await 
for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Right? We want that. That longing for heaven when all things will be made right, when we won't be victims of evil people who want to hurt us, when we won't be victims of our own stupid screw-ups that we commit on our own, when we won't be victims of disease. And so that groaning of the Spirit is that pleading before the throne of God for the ordering of suffering in the world for our eternal good. And you may think, but, but what, if, what if I just don't know what to pray? What, what if my prayers don't make sense and I just ramble? Keep praying because the Spirit intercedes for you and God hears your prayers. He hears your weak, mumbling, even wordless prayers through the Holy Spirit. But what if, I mean, what if I've just, I'm so, I'm hurting so bad that I don't want to pray. I don't know that I can entrust myself to God in prayer. I've tried and it doesn't seem like it's helping. I still face hardship in life. In other words, you're groaning, awaiting that day. Pray honestly, because the Spirit intercedes for you. Ask the Spirit to help you. But you say, but what, what if I'm so overwhelmed and so exhausted that I can't pray? I just fall asleep when I try to pray. I would say there's, remember Jesus, we talked about this a, a week ago too, when Jesus told his disciples to watch and wait so they don't fall into temptation. Watch and wait and pray, and he comes back and they're asleep, and he's like... What's going on? You couldn't even stay awake for an hour? Um, and so there's, there's a sense in which laziness is not good. We should not be lazy and not pray. We need to pray. But when you're praying and you have been overwhelmed and you're exhausted and you fall asleep, Jesus doesn't berate him there. He questions them, but doesn't berate him. And when you fall asleep because you're exhausted and you've been praying, maybe there's something beautiful about it. Philip Yancey uh, wrote about this and, and said it came to be an encouraging thing to think about falling asleep and praying. He said he used to feel discouraged all the time, like, oh, I can't even stay awake to pray. My mind wanders and, and, um, and then I fall asleep in it. But he wrote this. He said, I used to worry about falling asleep during prayer. Now, as a parent, I understand. What parent wouldn't want her child to fall asleep in her arms knowing that she is safe and can be at rest. Isn't that a sign that you're trusting God and at rest in that moment? And the Holy Spirit helps you in your exhaustion. In your weakness, it says, the Spirit intercedes for you. The second point that I want to talk about is not only that the Spirit intercedes with passion you lack, but that the Spirit intercedes with knowledge you don't have. And you're like, yeah, I just, I just, I'm not sure what to pray. Verse 27 tells us that the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. When you're like, I don't know what God wants me to do. The Spirit does. And the Spirit intercedes in accordance with the will of God. Just like te- Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done. But beyond that, in verse 28, we're told also that the Spirit intercedes for us. Because he knows that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And are called according to his purpose. So the Spirit knows the will of God, intercedes on the will, uh, according to the will of God, and for the good of those who love him. This verse, Romans 8, 28, is some, a verse you may have heard before many times. It, some, for some of you, you may have never heard it before. But sometimes you've had a well-meaning friend 
in the midst of horrible circumstances in your life, say, it's okay, God works everything for good. And in that moment, it is probably not what you want to hear. It might not be the best advice in that moment, because you're probably thinking, in my pain right now, I don't see anything good. And it's appropriate to acknowledge pain and suffering and hurt with people. And while it is not what you want to hear in the middle of that hardship that leaves you in this state of disorientation, it is true and it should be the foundation in which you stand upon. It's something you need to know. God works all things together. Not some things. Not a couple of things. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Because God has knowledge of the whole plan. We're stuck in the fog of the moment. God will work out things for your eternal good. It doesn't say that God works all things for the good and ease of those who loves him. It doesn't say easy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard. But he does use those hard times for our good. And it's hard for us to imagine and fathom in the midst of difficult times. But let me give you two biblical examples that reveal this to us, that show it. The first is in the Old Testament, the example of Joseph. Joseph is one of 12 brothers, and he is the least liked brother because he's his father's favorite. His father gave him a coat of many colors. You may have heard of that because there's a play about that and everything. Um, And so he gets this coat, this beautiful coat from his father, and all his brothers are mad about it. And so they decide that they want to kill him, and they throw him in a pit. And then they decide, one speaks up and says, maybe we shouldn't kill him. I mean, let's have a conscience. Let's just sell him as a slave, make some money off of him because that's a great solution. And so they do that, and then they kill an animal and spread blood on that coat and take it back to their father and say, hey, the son you love must have been attacked by a wild animal and he's dead, because look, here's his coat and it's covered in blood. Now, in that moment, if we were praying, if we were were the, the family friends and we were called together on a prayer chain, will you please pray for me? Maybe I should, some of you may go, what is a prayer chain? What is that? It we have a thing that we call a prayer chain, but it's just those who are willing to pray, sign up for an email, and if you need prayer, you send it, and it goes out in that email so you get prayer. So if, let's say that happens, and the email went out in the Old Testament times, and they want prayer. We'd probably be praying, Lord, we just pray that you bring Joseph home safely. Maybe he's wounded. Give him strength to survive. Bring him back. And that would be okay. That would be a good prayer, but that would be our prayer, right? That would be what we would want. That would be what would be good But we know that's not the story of what happens. God doesn't allow the brother's sin to be the end of the story. He turns it into good. Joseph rises in the land of Egypt to become the prime minister under Pharaoh, second in command of all of Egypt, and he he manages it so wisely that they have prepared enough grain for famines that are coming. And those famines come, and then Egypt is the place that provides grain for the world during that famine. Other countries flocked to Egypt to get their grain because Joseph had prepared it and stored it up, including his own brothers have to come to him and ask him for grain. And when he finally reveals to his brothers who he is, they're shocked, stunned. What? 
And Joseph says to them in chapter 50, verse 20, he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God used Joseph's temporary trials to help countries for decades and some people for eternity. And one of the things we need to remember about that is this. If you don't keep God's mission in mind when you pray, you will turn your prayers into the magic genie prayers of, can you give me this? Can you give me this? Can you give me what I want? Keeping God's mission in mind, we pray, yes, God, that you will bring relief from suffering. Yes, that you will do good things, but yes, that you will do what is for your eternal glory and good as well. In the New Testament, the story is that of Lazarus. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, and um, he it gets sick. Um, they are praying for him. They want Jesus to come help. Certainly, the email has gone out, and they're asking people, pray for Lazarus because he's sick. And in this instance, Lazarus is not healed. Instead, he dies. Jesus then comes to the scene after he's dead three days and raises Lazarus to life, and Lazarus walks out of the tomb. Now, there are sometimes Jesus uh, brings amazing healing to people, and they're healed. There's sometimes they die, and he raises them to life. Even now, God sometimes brings amazing healing to people, either miraculously or through medicine, And sometimes people die. The reality is we will all one day die unless Jesus comes back first. But Christian, you need to understand this, that if your illness leads to death, that you too will walk out of the grave. Because Jesus has said there is eternal life, life forever that does not end, that you will enjoy in body and soul in paradise forever. You will be called out of the tomb into that paradise. And so that is what is good. God in his character is good. He, he cannot not be good. But it is hard for us to see that in times. And it's why we need to pray, relying on the knowledge the Spirit has, and say, Spirit, help me understand. Help me to trust that you know what's best when my wisdom is clouded by the fog of the moment. The third point today that I want you to see is this, that when you don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes to remind you of future hope. This comes through for us in verse 30. It says, And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Do you notice in that verse that those are all past tense? Right? So, Those God predestined ahead of time, those God called to come to him, those God justified making right as if their sin is covered because of the sacrifice of Christ, and those glorified. All past tense. Paul does that and puts them all past tense to show that this is one chain, a single chain of the whole picture of salvation from beginning to end, and that that chain cannot be broken. God is not breaking that chain. And Paul states it as past tense, as if it's done deal, as if it's as good as done. And glorified is what happens when we get to heaven, when we're made perfect, brought into glory, and we have no more sin, no more suffering, no more shame, no more sorrow, and it's all done. 
Now, that's important for us to realize that the Spirit is reminding us of this complete chain of salvation and this future hope that we have, that it's secure. Because when you first believed the gospel, and you said, okay, Jesus, I'm in, I'm in, I'm with you, and I'm following you, and you, you understand the good news, you forgive my sins, really, even that one? Yes, even that one. Okay, but what about that one? Yeah, that one too. What about the one you don't know about? I already know about it, that one too. And you're like, okay. Okay, good. This is awesome. I'm forgiven. And you're, and you're walking with Jesus, and, and then you're going on in life, and you're like, man, I, I keep going back and doing that sin. Or I, there's new ones that have been revealed to me now that I didn't realize that I was so arrogant or whatever it is, right? And it, as life goes on like that, you can get discouraged because you're like, man, God saved me, but I thought I'd be a whole lot better by now. But I find out that I'm still sinning, and it's still the struggle, this battle, this fire I'm in, and that can be really discouraging, even crushing to your spirit. And you think, I'm not worthy, I'm a failure. And what we need to understand about the gospel that Paul is telling us here in Romans 8 is that the gospel is not simply that Jesus says, hey, it's okay, I'll pick you up and dust you off, forget about that past, you got this, keep going. It's much more than that. It's so much more than that. The gospel is that Jesus forgave your sins past. He forgives your sins present today. He forgives your sins tomorrow that you're going to commit that you don't even know yet. Justified, glorified. He's given you a new identity in Christ so that you are united to him and that you and your sin have been attributed to Christ and Christ's perfect record of righteousness is attributed to you, to your account, so that when God looks at you, he sees the perfect record of Jesus. Justified. God has said, I have adopted you into the family which we groan waiting for that adoption. You're in. This good news is better than you ever dreamed possible. He is not giving up on you. He is not letting you go. And he's not trading you in. God will work all things to transform, to sustain you until that day when you arrive in heaven where you will be glorified. Making you perfect forever. So Jesus does say, keep going. I've got you. And isn't that a much more powerful motivation to keep going than you got this? Because you're like, yeah, I know I said that yesterday and I already failed again today. But when Jesus says, keep going because I've got you, I go, all right, I can go again. Because it's not only up to me. Jesus is with me. He's got me. And then we hit our breaking point, right? You have to hit your breaking point. If you haven't hit your breaking point, you don't really know the gospel. Because you still think, I'm pretty good. Got a little Jesus help over here, and I got a little me help here, and I'm going to make it. Until you hit that point where you're like, my me help stinks. Doesn't work. I'm broken. That's when you have to go, okay, God, I hope this gospel is as good as you say it is. Justified. Glorified. And if you doubt it, if you think, I don't know, I mean, maybe that's the past tense stuff, let's just keep reading. Verse 31 and following. Let's put those words on the screen. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, which he says he is, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Nope. As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope you get it. Paul's like got run-on sentences going, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? Your sin is not going to separate you from the Lord because what the Lord did is come to earth to enter and take on your sin. He already knows it all. He took it all. And that future hope of glory, we need to remember that and cling to that. The Spirit should be reminding you of that as you pray in your weakness. I was reminded of that a little bit just this morning, actually, when in the back of my Bible, as I opened it, I turned and I found this um, thing that's stashed in here. It's a song, and it was uh, from the funeral of John Roach, and it was found tucked in the back of John's Bible, and it's a song in Christ Alone. And at the top of it has John's handwriting, and it says this, I was 63 years old when this started to sink in. John's great man, accomplished man, a VMI grad, a good man, and, uh, and a Christian. And at 63 years old, it really started to sink in for him. He underlined these words, In Christ alone, my hope is found. And as he stands, that is Jesus, stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Right? John being reminded in, in, in the hardest moments when things come to him that the Spirit helps him and reminds him that he is in Christ and Christ is in him and that nothing can separate that. Christian follower of Jesus, you have help from the Holy Spirit who intercedes with passion you lack with the knowledge you don't have, and to remind you of the future hope that you do have that is secure. But in the meantime, you and I wait. We wait. Waiting in the line at the grocery store, waiting in the insufferable traffic and at stoplights, waiting in the elevator, waiting in your Uber, waiting, waiting in the line to pick kids up from school, waiting for in a line in a couple of weeks to return Christmas gifts. (laughs) Waiting. Waiting for that conference call that's about to start for work. 
waiting in the waiting room for the doctor to come in. In your waiting, I'll bet like me that you often do this. And you start looking. Right? We, just, we pick up this, this enslaving, distractive device that has a lot of great capabilities in our waiting and we look at it. I don't want us to waste our waiting. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if in this Advent season we turned our waiting into praying. Even when we don't know what to pray, even when we lack the passion, even when we have doubts, if we turned our waiting into praying and see what the Spirit does. Here's a very practical way that you can pray while you wait. This is from my friend Justin Early. He wrote this this week to encourage us. He says this, we might say we are just bored, and that's why we pick up our phones, but, but more likely we're anxious and impatient. We're uncomfortable not being in control of time, so we do something that makes us feel in control by punching commands into our phone. So it is that we must learn to wait. In order to do so, we must practice waiting. One way to practice this is for the season of Advent, refuse to use your phone while you wait. Just wait and pray. In that very uncomfortable place, in the place that you long to get out of as soon as possible, know that this is where your soul lives. This is where your neighbor's soul lives. This is why the world is the way that it is, because we need our Savior to come again. And we wait. So in your waiting, be praying and asking the Spirit to help. And while you're at it, ask the Spirit to help the neighbor in the line next to you, or the person that cut you off in traffic or the person you cut off in traffic. It's in that line at the store or in the elevator, maybe in your praying, then stop and smile and say hello. Because Jesus really does bring joy to a waiting world. And his blessings do flow as far as the curse is found. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you will help us to wait well, and in our waiting... Would you help us to be praying, people? Make your blessings flow, Lord. Spirit, be with us. Pray for us. Intercede on our behalf. In the moments of joy, help us to be grateful and thankful. In the moments of sorrow, meet us in it. Lord, it is, this season is a great one and a hard one. And so we pray that you'll meet us when we're overwhelmed with life and help us to overcome by praying relying on the Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.